This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus, ASSP's premier hybrid education event. Join us for Safety Focus February 12th through the 16th, 2024 in Irvine, California, and online February 19th through the 23rd to gain in-depth training on important safety topics and collaborate with expert instructors and fellow safety professionals on real-world challenges. Learn more and register at safetyfocus.assp.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you so much for joining us today for a conversation about personal protective equipment. This is something that can be found in all workplaces and across all industries, but the key with any PPE is that it fits properly to provide the appropriate level of protection to those using it. This is something that has been an ongoing challenge for women in particular across all industries, and a new ASSP technical report, ASSP TR Z590.6, aims to address that by offering guidance on designing, manufacturing, and properly fitting PPE for women. Joining me today are the chair and vice chair of the committee that put that document together. They are Kathy Dobson and Abby Ferry. Kathy, Abby, welcome. So great to have you on the show. Hey, thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you both so much for being here. This is uh, very exciting. As as I mentioned, you know, this is uh, something that affects uh, women across all industries. PPE can't work properly if it doesn't fit properly. So I wondered uh, if we kind of set the table for the rest of the conversation by looking at the current state of PPE for women and, you know, the, the availability of PPE that fits properly. So I wonder, uh, Kathy, if you could uh, kick us off. Sure. I, you know, I think that it's, first of all, it's getting better. There are more manufacturers who are identifying the need and actually investing in that manufacturing process to put PPE on the shelves for women. The issue, though, is that there's not enough. There's still some overcharging, I think, of, of PPE and, um, and protective clothing, whether it's a coverall or jeans or whatever, the FR jeans. I, I think that there's still some pricing issues with that. But the one thing that I think is really a great positive is that the manufacturers are starting to take input from the people who actually use the protective equipment and developing that PPE based on input from real users, not just people who think they know what the PPE should fit. And on that note, you know, talking about that input, the technical report talks about the different factors that should be considered when designing, manufacturing, and fitting PPE for women. So Abby, I wonder if we could go there next and you know what all these different groups should be thinking about when they're designing, manufacturing, and, and fitting PPE. Yeah, to build off of what Kathy said, I was going to say the same thing. It's getting better. So I think manufacturers are starting to have that attention, that they're understanding that there's actual anthropometric data out there to use instead of just women like purple, women like leopard. Well, not all women, just like not all men with some of the work gear that's out there too. So I think they're starting to understand that if they can identify specific reasons that their gear is for women and indicating measurements or other data that they're using, that 
that's just helping make that case for that PPE. Then also at the, the local or site level that the people that make the purchasing decisions that order the gear for the women on the job site, they're finally realizing like, yes, there are women on this work site <laughs> for one. And also too, that they have different needs and that those needs need to be purchased. We have to purchase the right equipment for those needs. We can't just say, oh, it'll be okay. You know, we'll, we'll order a variety of sizes and something will fit. We have to actually put some thought and intention into that. And that's where the report highlights anthropometric data from head to toe on here's all the, the ways that women differ from men at scale that we're not just smaller men, that there's actual, you know, proportions that scale up and down with the sizes of women versus men. And that are typically true, no matter what size the woman is, small, medium, large, extra large, that overall, you know, her shoulders will have less width than a man's or finger lengths. There's such interesting data inside the appendix of the report that I hope other people, when they read this, that they geek out as much as we did. Like, wow, I never really thought, you know, the reason that my safety glasses sometimes pop up when I smile is because there's actual data that supports the sizing, you know, the measurements between things that have to deal with my cheekbones and how my glasses fit. It's not just, I'm weird. <laughs> We're not weird. There's data. <laughs> yeah, I love that you mentioned that women are not just smaller men. Because a lot of manufacturers, originally when manufacturers were designing personal protective equipment for women, they were just taking the, the men's patterns and making them a little bit smaller. And that really wasn't effective for, for those of us who are actual women. <laughs> Can I add on to that since you mentioned patterns? So uh, I've been involved in some conversations with clothing designers and not just PPE or work apparel, but actual fashion. And they've explained that it's more expensive to have curves in your patterns of the garments that you're designing. And so I do understand why these manufacturers for years have just done these boxy patterns because you can use more of the fabric. You have a little bit more waste when you are cutting a curve. So you know, for, for work apparel that more mirrors street clothing, like coveralls, FR denim, FR tops, things like that. That's why, and it doesn't make it right, but that's why a lot of the apparel, the protective apparel hasn't met women's needs. Going along with that, that the uh, way you both just said is a nice jumping off point. Because, you know, with PPE that doesn't fit properly, you know, there are physical as well as, you know, psychological, sociological impacts. So that maybe we could talk about the impacts of all kinds when PPE doesn't fit properly. I'll start that one. This is the part of the report that I'm most proud of, but also was the most difficult because with a group, the, the drafting committee consisted of women except for one man, which is very different and is actually pretty awesome how that shook out that it's like a, what is that, a microcosm of some of our work settings, but flipped on its head. So the parts about psychological safety and how we could quantify that and relate it back to PPE fit was a bit of a dance, but also, again, the data was right there in front of us that there's dating back to 1999, the OSHA Health and Safety of Women in Construction Report talks about women who 
had difficulty on their worksite being taken seriously and being advanced through their apprenticeship or being given the proper workload that they could actually handle because they didn't, you know, look like they could handle it. And part of that was ill-fitting PPE. They looked like they didn't belong. And so it just, that impact can spread amongst, you know, to other parts of your job to the point that even some of these women were exiting the trades or exiting manufacturing environments that are more male populated because the gear wasn't provided for them. So the image is that this isn't for you. And so the women, you know, they hear that message and you know what, this isn't for me and they leave. And then the ones that are left just are sick of standing up. (laughs) And so that's what brings us to modern day where a lot of the PPE and work apparel for women is directly from the business to the consumer, that women are just like, I'll do it myself, you know, like a typical mantra of women throughout the ages, I'll do it myself. So they just go and buy their own PPE out of pocket. So when we talk about the pink tax, it's not just that the gear is more expensive to the employer, but the gear is more expensive to the individual women that choose to stay in these careers because they're buying it out of pocket. So it's an even greater application of that pink tax. These women should not have to spend this money out of their own pocket for gear that the employer is supposed to provide to them. So that encompasses to me the psychological safety aspect, but there's more. I'm I'm sure Kathy's like jumping at it to try to explain some more of the psychological impacts. So I'll yield the rest to Kathy. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Abby. I really appreciate it. You know, when you when you talk about the 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 women going outside of the, of their own companies and purchasing the PPE on their own, you know, we don't want to get into this, you know, whole you know OSHA says because I've done it myself and um, have never asked for reimbursement for the PPE that I've purchased on my own because I just felt that it was better for me to buy something that I knew was going to work for me, and then it's word of mouth, you know. When, when other women see what, what I was wearing, then they're like, whoa, where'd you get that? What's going on with that? And so it's sort of daisy chains into a number of women on a project who are all wearing PPE that fits, but that they've purchased on their own. And some companies are really good about reimbursing. Other companies are like, well, you bought it on your own. So, you know, it's on you. And again, I don't want to get into the whole, you know, OSHA thing and what companies are good and what companies are bad for providing PPE. But when you have to when you have to go outside and you have to buy your own PPE, you're really looking for something that makes you look professional, whether you're a tradeswoman or whether you're in management in the field. And it's also important that you're wearing something that doesn't look like you should be wearing a red clown nose. Because some of the PPE that's provided, especially for women who may be the the, the biggest example that I can think of is a woman who is relatively short. And she's large chested, a rather, you know, and and a a little bit on the heavy side who has to wear like a four or five XL gear that she has to roll up the pant legs and duct tape around and roll up the cuffs and duct tape around to make the gear that she needs to do her job allegedly safely fit for her. And there's still a lot of loose fabric that's hanging around, you know, different parts of her body. And it's really a challenge when you, when you have to try and make that transition to, Hey, I need to be taken seriously on the, on my job. 
and you need to not disrespect me. And, and that's where that Haswick report that Abby referenced really discussed a lot of issues like that, like, like women who had to stuff extra pairs of socks in the toes of their work boots so that they could get work boots that actually fit them where they they felt that their their gloves that they were wearing were so big and bulky that it would be caught up in equipment or suck their arms right in if if, if there was rotating parts and they were, and they were wearing those even though you shouldn't wear gloves while you're rotating equipment some companies don't understand that they just say oh you have to wear gloves so if you want to keep your job you're wearing the gloves and even though you know that there's a there's an additional hazard when we've done other studies we've read that like over in Europe, same kind of issues where women feel like, I look like a Teletubby. If you remember the, the cartoon characters, they're chunky and they got big arms and, and big legs and short legs. And, and, and so all of those things play into a woman's psyche or, or a person's psyche who has to wear ill-fitting personal protective equipment. And then compound that with, you know, different life cycle changes and events that happen for most women, you know, there's menopause and being overheated with this gear now, and now coupling that with ill-fitting gear and being overheated or needing some options for, you know, different times when someone might need that comfort level. I'm again, like really proud of this report that we went there, you know, with the psychological impact and talking about menopause, postpartum, post-surgery all these different types of factors that impact how PPE and work apparel may or may not work for someone, especially women. I, I wonder if we could talk, we gave a few examples there. We could talk more about the physical hazards also. You, you gave a few examples with the, the gloves, Kathy, and the pant legs and things like that. I wonder if we could talk about, you know, some other examples of ways new hazards could be introduced with, you know, physical hazards with PPE that doesn't fit properly. So during COVID, there was a lot of media, I guess, around healthcare workers, uh, women healthcare workers, and their ill-fitting respiratory protection and facial protection. And, you know, these people were on the front lines of a global pandemic with gear that was, if you saw articles of women where they posted pictures of their mask bruising their face and just because they were wearing oversized masks, but trying to, to make it work. People were making like these 3D printed mask, you know, trying to retrofit an N95 mask when it's like, why can't we just get them a mask that fits? And so as we dove into the data for this report, I started to understand more about women's facial measurements and why a mask wouldn't work for a woman that would work for an average size man. And then others would be like the eye protection. Now there's safety glasses out there for people with like a smaller, I'm going to mess this up. I think it has to do with the bridge of the nose measurement, but it works for a lot of women too, because it's a slightly smaller frame. And even if a woman is, you know, six foot three and has, you know, a bigger head, still her facial measurements are going to match other women as far as anthropometric data. The other one that I think about from the report is head protection. So head protection is based on a specific head form that's specified by ASTM. And the data says that if we used a child's head form, like <laughs> this is weird, but a child's head form 
is actually going to meet the needs of more women on average if we were to design head protection based on that form. But currently manufacturers, they have to use a different head form. And I mean, I learned a while back that there are different sizes of head protection because I had some workers that had larger heads that they would ratchet their, their head protection completely loose and it would still be tight on their head. And that's when I worked with our suppliers and learned, oh, we can have a different size helmet. So I think, and Kathy started talking about this too, about just understanding what people have been going through. If your workers have a safe space to tell you, this is the gear I'm buying because you can get a lot of insight and then start to understand what your workforce actually needs. So uh, I've been in spaces where I've heard directly from tradeswomen and was just appalled by what I heard because some of them often wouldn't feel safe to speak up even to the safety person on their job site or at their workplace, which is, that's a whole other challenge. So uh, I think really this report, I'm, I'm hoping that it opens that dialogue more between the workers and the people that support them with the PPE. That brings up uh, another question. How, how do you feel like you know this report could help create those inroads to start that conversation? Yeah, I think it's important to understand that people don't know what they don't know, you know, and that's and that's sort of an odd statement. But it this report has really opened up a lot of people's eyes to those anthropometric changes or those anthropometric differences between men and women. It's also helped people the people who are providing the PPE, the, the ordering teams, the, the folks that are actually supplying them on a project site, the understanding that, uh, that a woman who is going through menopause may have different needs than, than a woman who is not, a younger woman or a, or a man. And, and I also think that the report, even though it, it's a guidance for personal protective equipment for women, if we make it better for women, we also make it better for men. And once we got into this report, we started to realize, you know what, the PPE is designed for a certain range and it doesn't even hit that 95th percentile. You know, it's more like the 60th percentile for height and weight and things like that. And so you're still losing people on either end of that size scale, whether they're small or whether they're very large. And the report, I think, does a, does a good job of kind of reining that in without having to challenge the standards, guidelines, and things like that, to say, we recognize that, that there are people of all shapes and sizes that we need to make certain that their personal protective equipment fits them. I wanted to add a lot of the info in the report. You can read it to a, a worker or a coworker and say, did you know? <laughs> and then read the stat. And so you just start looking at that appendix of data and it's like, did you know that women's heels, you know, whatever it is, like uh, there was something about work boots. And I remember in construction, we have to have like a six inch height work boot and the anthropometric data around women's feet versus men's shows why when women buy men's work boots that meet that six inch specification, that they are uncomfortable because that I forget the exact links, but it has to do with like the women's heel and that height. So it, there's women's footwear manufacturers that they do meet that six inch specification, but it's based on women's measurements. So that's why the women's boot is going to be more comfortable than the men's, even though on paper, it looks like, oh, they both meet that six inch requirement. So I've learned that people only learn when they're surprised. 
And so there's so much surprise in this report that I'm just so excited to see all the learning that's going to take place. And, you know, some people might be upset or encouraged by the things that they find in this report. But I think the whole report, as we wrote it, was meant to be a dialogue opener. You know, it's meant for a person in the trades to bring it to their employer. It's meant for a safety professional to use. It's meant for someone that does procurement. It's meant for a manufacturer. It's everyone in that entire supply chain. So hopefully people understand, you know, different ways to, to use it. Well, and sort of an offshoot of this, and I don't know if it, if it was organic or whether it was intentional, is that there are several women's clothing and footwear manufacturers now that are coming to the market and they're identifying, hey, you know what? I used to work in construction and I know the struggles that you you have felt. Or I tried to find a, a pair of, you know, FR jeans that fit me. And so my team designed them. And so, like I said, I don't know whether it was organic or whether it was because some of those individuals were actually part of the report the development of the report, but it's happening. And and I think that once the ball gets rolling, it's going to continue to roll. Hopefully. Hopefully, indeed. Uh, something you just mentioned there, Abby, I'm glad you talked about, you know, the, the guidance that this report offers so many different groups, you know, whether it's designers, manufacturers, employers, purchasers, safety professionals. So I wonder if we could talk about, you know, what you want each of those groups, you know, to take away from this and the, the education, the knowledge this can provide them. Yeah. I mean, start at the top, right? With manufacturers, because they're the ones that that's the gear that we have on the marketplace. So I'm hopeful that they'll look at the report and really do an audit, you know, do our offerings that say for women on them, what are the things that make them for women? What can we match up to this report? I think that would be a great place to start. And then those in purchasing to push on those manufacturers and distributors and suppliers like, hey, we need women's gear that actually, you know, we've got all these women landscapers, they need gloves. And by the way, most of them are pretty petite. So it's going to be like a smaller glove. And can you send us some samples? You know, just being empowered to ask for that because the equipment exists. It, it does. And it shouldn't be that hard to find. But in some cases, sometimes the quantities are difficult to find. And as I've talked to suppliers and distributors, they've often said, well, there's no demand. So, hey, everybody, <laughs> demand of your suppliers and distributors that you need this gear because you do have women workers that will be thankful and you'll retain them if you are fitting them with gear that fits them and there's fit and function and all that, we can leave out fashion. You know, that'll, that'll happen. It's going to be an improvement if we're not in like baggy gear, you know, our fashion is going to be improved, but who cares about that part? But yeah, I, something that has come out in the past few to 10 years of advocating for, for this equipment has been that suppliers and distributors say there's no demand. And so I know, and Kathy knows, because we talk to tradeswomen and we're in those spaces that the need is there, but these women have not felt that they could state what their needs were, or maybe they they had no idea that their needs could even be met, so they don't say anything. And so then there's this false sense of there's no demand. So yeah, I <laughs> that's probably the, the biggest thing that I would be most adamant about of the use of this report is 
here's all the needs. This report answers the why. If anyone's like, why do I have to fit women differently? Why do I have to buy different things for women? Here's the why. But then also the report can be a tool for the workers to say, this is what we actually need. So I'm, again, hopeful that this gets to that manufacturer, supplier, distributor level, because really they're the ones that this hinges on. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that people say that the demand isn't out there, but we have to open our mouths and voice that we have a need. And then they will see that there is a lot of demand and it's not, it's not an issue where it's not financially feasible to develop this personal protective equipment and provide the personal protective equipment. The other issue, however, is even though the equipment may be available, if you work for a company or work in a part of the country where it's difficult to have multiple distributors, you're going to be sort of forced to single source your personal protective equipment. And if that supplier doesn't provide personal protective equipment for women or in the smaller sizes or with with the proper fit, then you may be forced to wait because they'll say, oh, we can get it for you, but it may be a two or three week delay. And oftentimes when it's that long of a time period, you're losing your craft workers. They're leaving your job site to go to another job site. They're being unfairly laid off because, well, we we don't have a harness that's going to work for you. So sorry, see you. And that, you know, I mean, that gets to the whole, the whole um, equal employment situation. And should they be laid off and let go because there's no personal protective equipment? It's the, it's the employer's responsibility to make sure that it's out there. But if you don't have the supplier that's, that's going to provide it for you, you have to, again, open your mouth and find a supplier that can readily get you the equipment that you need. Well said. And yes, going back to the early point, no one should have to fend for themselves to get, you know, the the PPE, the properly fitting PPE that they need to do their their job safely. Anything else uh, either of you'd like to add? Any any final thoughts about uh, the technical report and how we can uh, improve the fit of PPE for women? Well, I hope that this podcast helps answer questions, but if anyone needs more information, you know, for their workplace or for their industry, Personally, I've spoken to groups in construction, foundries, manufacturing so far on the report, and it's been really well received. There's been some surprise, but then people, it's like, as they start peeling back these layers, they're like, oh my gosh, I have women that have very small feet and we can't find boots in their size. And they also need metatarsal covers. And so Once they start understanding how, I mean, I hate to say some workers have been underprotected for a long time. And so that's why I mentioned there could be some feelings of upset with people reading this report that they realize, oh, I've been hemming or cutting off my FR coverall pant bottoms and you're not supposed to do that. And understanding that they have not been protected maybe even at all. And so trying to Make sure we're not having this illusion of safety, but having real safety for people through. And I know PPE is you know, lower on the hierarchy of controls, but it is very important and critical in a lot of these more high hazard industries that you just have to have a certain level of PPE on to do your job. So we need to make sure people are at minimum that they have the, the gear that's going to protect them. And then, of course, you know, the other controls on top of that. 
So uh, again, you know, if people need more information, there's Kathy and I, I, I don't want to volunteer anybody, but there's others on the committee that I'm sure would be happy to, to speak with anybody further. Yeah, Abby, I appreciate all your comments, and I and I agree. I've I've done some um, I've had some conversations and done some presentations based on this technical report myself, and people are pretty surprised at some of the um, some of the data that's in there. And we really I, I I can't say enough how much we we looked at the data. You know, from NIOSH, from from the the United States Army, from the Journal of Podiatric Medicine. American Journal of Industrial Medicine, all of, all of these people who have done independent studies themselves, and we in turn took all those studies and put them together and compiled them in that appendix that's available. And as we close out, I just want to mention that again, the technical report is ASSP TR Z590.6, Technical Report Guidance of Personal Protective Equipment for Women, and you can find it on ASSP.org right now. Well, uh, Kathy, Abby, thank you both so much again for coming on and for all your work on this technical report. You know, everyone needs and deserves to have PPE that fits properly so they can do their job safely. And I hope this technical report helps us get there. So thank you both again so much. Well, thank you. Before we close out, though, I want to say I want to also acknowledge all of the people that contributed to this report. It certainly wasn't just Abby and I. We were sort of just the we were the shepherds and 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 guided and and helped to direct and channel some of the um some of the individuals but the the people who put this report together who were part of those teams amazing individuals amazing definitely and also like a thank you to ASSP and International Safety Equipment Association for the support as well throughout this process we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the case for safety podcast be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org. We'll see you next time.